is the Syracuse Basketball Podcast. I'm Bobby Manning. He's James Zuba. And today we have games. We have a schedule, 31 games slated <laughs> for the season. We've been waiting. And what a grand unveiling it was on the ACC Network. Did you catch the, what was it, two hours? I think it probably went two hours by the time it was done. Grogging from team to team to team. <laughs> Can uh can I be honest with you? I didn't watch it. <laughs> I didn't watch surprise, it. Surprise, surprise. You know, and it, and it sounds like it was a good decision because there was a soccer game that went into OT and took about 20 to 30 minutes afterwards. But uh, I did see everything else that came out afterwards. Uh, we'll, we'll get into all that. But first, uh, let's, let's hit the intro. The records, the rankings, the tradition. The Pearl putting on a show. Syracuse goes to the final four. And boom, here we are. Next time the Syracuse Orange play a game, it'll be an ACC game. So we got that whole ACC schedule together. Virginia is opening the season up. We knew that. But my first big wrinkle in this schedule, and I went back 10, 20 years, Syracuse Orange schedules, Big East ACC. Never have they started conference play as early as they did this year with the Virginia game, of course. But there's also one in December, December 8th, between the Iowa game and the Georgetown game. They're heading to Georgia Tech as part of a two-game road trip, which is, you know, not the hardest game in the world, but a wrinkle they've never seen before. Some some people are in favor of it. I, I for one, am not in favor of it. Uh, I just I don't like the challenge that it represents. Uh, to open up the year against Virginia is unique. I mean, it should be a, a big crowd on hand for that. Uh, I think that's the the one interesting thing about it is that you've got a chance for a really big crowd just to start the season. It's a Wednesday game, uh, and then you go through you know your your non conference slate. Uh, you know you got the the NIT season tip off. You got the Iowa game, and then you go down to Georgia Tech. You go down to Atlanta. It's a Sunday game on December eighth, which I'm also not a huge fan of the Sunday game. But and then that's sandwiched in between um, the Georgetown game, which is the following weekend. So. Uh, you know, I mean, everybody knows they're doing it for the ACC network. You have to get the content in there. You have to get some some slates in there and get some subscribers. So, you know, I get what it's trying to do, but let's hope that, you know, next season they can just go non-conference and then straight into the 20, 20 games uh, the next season. We'll talk about rollout. Between them having the issue getting the ACC network on every single cable streaming package, the soccer mishap that they have here. And it's great that they're showing soccer. I heard that one of the first games that they did on the ACC network was the Syracuse women's soccer game, which is great not only from getting them out there, if someone's just flipping through the channels and happens upon that, they're a soccer fan, maybe they stick with it. It also allows kids here to get involved in that kind of production, real TV, real games at a college level. So it's good from those two perspectives. But then you do a two-hour event to announce these schedules. Not only does it get pushed back, beyond what anybody would really want to wait unless they're writing about it like us. And then not only do they slowly trudge team the team the team and just pretty much do a conference preview along with its conference schedule release, they drop the schedules on Twitter. Like I did a free trial of the of the YouTube TV just so I could watch this. And then seconds later, Syracuse tweet out the tw- uh, schedule. So I'm like, oh, geez, I risked 50 a month <laughs> in case I forgot unsubscribing from this. Just uh, save two seconds. 
yeah. So so that's where I caught it was on Twitter. So uh, I guess I guess we'll get into it. When when you saw the schedule, what were the the first thoughts that you had, or what, what were the first things that jumped off the page to you? February is going to be a load. It, it's going to be really hard to get through that February stretch, and it usually is. But packing Duke at the front of that, uh, UNC at the back end of it, and then games that are usually pretty challenging, Florida State road game, that's always a tough yeah. one. Uh, NC State beat them badly last year, and most of that core is coming back, if I remember right. So they're going to be a tough one even at the Dome. It, it reminded me that as easy as the opening non-conference slate they scheduled looks right now, the ACC stretch that they have, uh, 19 or 18 straight games, supposedly a year, five to seven on the road, is going to be a big wake-up call for this team. And we'll see if they're able to get through it because it is a very hard schedule, backloaded that they built this year. Right. And so this is nothing new for Syracuse, too. I mean, even in the Big East, before they, they hop shipped to the, to the ACC, they, they frequently saw a backloaded schedule. And again, you know, it's a made-for-TV schedule. So, yeah. of course, the closer you get to March after the Super Bowl, you're going to get a lot of primetime games, um, some primetime matchups. But, you know, wh- while we're, we're talking about it, why don't I go through and, and list the games just so everybody that's, that's following along knows uh, yeah. who might not have seen the schedule. Uh, so Syracuse, as mentioned, will open the season at home against Virginia, uh, defending national champ, champs. That'll be November 6th. And then, as stated, also uh, on the road to Georgia Tech on Sunday, December 8th. Uh, they'll close out the non-conference and then open conference play against Notre Dame at home Saturday, January 4th, uh, followed by Virginia Tech, also a home game on January 7th. Uh, and then you go on the road at JPJ, Virginia, for the second matchup uh, Saturday, January 11th. And then you got Wednesday, January 15th, home against BC. Uh, on the road the following weekend, January 18th at Virginia Tech. And then the following Wednesday, January 22nd at Notre Dame. Uh, two, two last games in January. You got Saturday, home against Pitt. And then you turn around Tuesday, go down to South Carolina to play Clemson. What do you, what do you think of that January stretch right there? Yeah, yeah. So I guess we'll, we'll break it up so I'm not, you know, talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Before we get into February. So when you, when you look at it, I think I'm not going to hold out the idea of Syracuse not having an opportunity to be ranked this season, depending on how they do on the non-conference. Now, uh, a lot of, a lot of that depends on, you know, how they do against Virginia in the home opener. Um, and also against, you know, the, the NIT preseason games and, you know, Oklahoma state and Iowa, but you know, let's, let's say Syracuse gets through that stretch and only drops a game or two. And then you've got a, a relatively easier schedule to open up conference play. Uh, I'm I'm pretty bullish on Notre Dame. Uh, I think probably more so than others, just because I think their freshmen kind of got thrown into the fire last year, and, and it'll be a little bit better than uh, you know they otherwise would have been if they didn't get that playing time. And yeah, then they, a good coach, good coach that I trust. Yeah, for sure. And you get Fluger back, and you know we won't get too into that. But but outside of them, I mean, you're getting you're getting some winnable games. You get Virginia Tech, Boston College, Virginia Tech again, um, then at Notre Dame. And then Pittsburgh, so that's that's the bottom of the league. And then you do throw the game at Virginia. Uh, that's going to be a little bit tricky in Charlottesville. But I think you you know if you're Syracuse, you have you have an opportunity to get some some wins early in the conference schedule. Well, I see that road game at Virginia on January 11th as being 
the marquee early ACC game where if they do have a great non-conference slate, like it looks like they have the chance to have one, uh, you know, you get through some of those winnable early ACC games like Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, it's two at home to start it after that Georgia Tech trip in December. At three of the first four at home, I mean, a three and one start to the ACC would be great. But if you start four and oh, over that stretch and get the upset at Virginia, that's where they really have their chance this year to be ranked, as you said there. I don't expect them to, but right. if they do it, I think that will be the stretch that allows them to a 4-0 and ACC start. Yeah, and I think it's more unlikely than it is likely, but I, I do you know, hold out the possibility just if they do get through that non-conference stretch that you know, there is a possibility this team could hop back in the rankings this year. Uh, certainly won't be there to start, and you know, of course that makes sense. I don't think this is a team that, on paper, really has much on a national level that's going to wow people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think it's one that will be a little bit better than than people outside of Syracuse think it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, the, other, the other thing that stuck out to me here is I look across it, only three games, or maybe four, yeah, I think four, that don't have either ESPN representation or ACC Network's uh, representation. I don't know how that's going to translate the ACC Network as far as like a national TV game goes. Maybe it'll just end up being like watch ESPN style the way most of the games have been in the past. But only three or four of these are going to be local TV games. Otherwise, it's ESPN, it's ACC Network. So they are well represented from a TV standpoint in the schedule, especially once February comes around. The only one that isn't ESPN or ACC Network there is the Georgia Tech home game. Yeah, and for sure, you know, that that was the reason behind the ACC Network. Well, uh, you know, to, to keep pace with the other the other Power Five conferences, one, but uh, two, you know, to get the, get its own channel and get on some some more national uh, a more national level. But uh, yeah, let's uh, let's go through the rest of the the February slate and in, in beginning of March, and then you know we can talk about some other things that stood out. But uh, yeah, as you you turn the page into February, you know, starting the on February first, which is a Saturday, you get Duke coming to the Carrier Dome, uh, followed by some other. Carolina schools. You got Wake Forest the following week, so Syracuse will have a week off in between. Mm-hmm. And then Tuesday, February 11th, NC State at home, and then you go on the road for two at Florida State. Saturday, Saturday, February 15th, at Louisville. Wednesday, February 19th, one more home game. Uh, you got Georgia Tech at home Saturday, uh, February 22nd. Then at Pitt the following Wednesday, uh, and excuse me, the fi- final home game versus North Carolina. Saturday, February 29th, and then at BC at Miami. Uh, you'll have some some Carrier Dome renovations this year, so Syracuse on the road for the final two. And senior night, no no seniors on the team, but you do get North Carolina at home for the final home game, which is a Saturday. So uh, attendance crowd coming back to Syracuse this year, Bobby? Uh, I, don't know, I don't know what kind of event that Duke game is going to be. I, I'm still familiarizing myself with what that Duke program is going to be this year. But it is cool that they get Duke-UNC on Saturday. It's the same you know, sports year that they get the Clemson game at home on Saturday. Uh, th- that's a good chance for an intermission right here because – I don't want to dig too deep on it, but (laughs) wow. Are we turning the page to basketball already after that Clemson game last night? I, uh, you know, just so many missed opportunities. And, you you know, you look at, I think, the big one everyone's talking about. Well, well, first in the first half, I think everybody wanted Dino to go for the home run and, uh, you know, not kick the field goals, not take the points and kind of risk it, you know, as as you're, 
want to do against when you're playing against the number one team in the country. You kind of got to take risks, but I'll leave that for the experts. But I think the big one was the the interception, and then Devito comes down and he, he throws another one. So uh, it's tough. You just you can't make those mistakes against Clemson if you want to upset. It was cool to be around fifty thousand at the dome. I saw some of the videos. I didn't actually go, but seeing the concourses like unmovable the way they were, and hearing the crowd in that first drive when they got the four and out, and you know I'm a sucker for the cliche like broadcasting tidbits that they do too, showing the forty four, the aerial view. They had the blimp in the sky, which was something I've never seen in my four years here. And the people here, Roger Goodell was here, Dwight Freeney. Who else? I mean, like the who's who of everybody were here for this game. So it was a great day for Syracuse, the brand as a school. But the game itself did nothing for the program. It doesn't seem like. For sure. So you had the. You can't leave out the Goodyear blimp, man. That was a big deal. I saw oh, it. People it was, were raving about the Goodyear blimp. <laughs> and there was traffic in Syracuse, which is extremely rare. I was just listening to. Right. Brad Stevens on a podcast talking about how he, even he sits in 50-minute traffic in Boston. None <laughs> of that out here in Q's, as you know, but there was a big line going downtown on a Saturday afternoon. So it was crazy here. You know, it was a really fun day start to finish besides the game. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, I'm in New York City. For those who don't know, I live in New York City. So I went up to East End, you know, Syracuse Bar for the first half and then, you know, it was packed wall to wall, and people were breathing down my back. So I'm like, all right, I got, I got to go home for the second half. But any, any wine? <laughs> no wine, no wine on Saturday. That was no uh, wine this week. Night. I, I signed up for the beer and wine class here at Syracuse, and they're introducing me to white wine, which is something I just don't drink. And I'll give Riesling if anybody's had it, if you've had it, credit. I, that might be the one way you get me into the white wine, all but. Right. Other than that, Chardonnay's not doing it for me, and uh, none of the other stuff they've given me on that side has convinced me. I'm red for life. That's fair. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a Chardonnay guy myself. I'm more of a Sauv Blanc, but I, I can mess with a reason. That, that one that one smells like not bad, <laughs> but like there's a there's a strong odor to that one. Are we uh, are we creating our own little brand here? I mean, John and Dan have the beer thing. They got the craft beer thing going on. We're talking about wine, I guess. Uh, is that the, the current state of noons? And scheduling, man. We're very unbranded. <laughs> <laughs> if there's ever a third noons podcast, we'll leave the seltzers to them. <laughs> the the White Claw versus uh, Bon Vive or whatever it is. <laughs> I'm sure that hasn't touched you. Has that touched your generation or is that just mine that's drinking that? No, I think it's everywhere, man. I, I think so. You know, my, my friends all drink the, the claws and... I think there's a little bait of like truly versus white claw, but most people seem to be on the white claw thing. So, so, so is the Duke game going to be an event this year? You think? Yeah, yeah, I do. I definitely think it will be. Um, you know, I'm I'm not as high on Duke as most are. I, I think I I've said that. You know, I like their their freshmen that they're bringing in, but they're nowhere near. And look who is, but you know, they're nowhere near the the Zion's and the RJ's and even Cam. Uh, I don't think it's that type of class. I think they could be pretty good, but I think a lot's going to hinge on, uh, one, how good Trey Jones is, which I think we all know he could be pretty good, and uh, how much the upperclassmen step up. You know, I think a guy like Alex O'Connell, he's he's got to kind of step up and, and play better than, than he has in, uh, uh, you know, last season. And also uh, a guy like Javin Deloria, can he step up? Can he be a solid uh, four-man for them? So um, I think Duke's going to be good. I mean, I think they're going to be top 25 all year. Maybe they – 
they fall from that spot for a little bit. I think they'll always be in the conversation, though. But uh, anytime you get Duke, you're going to have Coach K, you're going to have Bayheim, uh, you're going to have a lot on the line. I think it's going to be a 30 plus, you know, 30,000 plus crowd. And you get the Saturday game, ESPN's going to be there. So I think it's going to be an event. I, I for sure think it's, it's going to be an event. Goldwire, Joey Baker, Jack White, they do, Alex O'Connell, they do have like a strong cast of returning players. When I look across the, uh, the conference, you know, Syracuse has Jalen Carey coming back, who got the bits and pieces of time last year. But that's the theme. You might have one player who had experience from last year, but across the conference, multiple key starters on most of the teams left for the draft. It was a big, big exodus of guys going to the G League and just whatever other options that they could find via the draft. Even like Wake Forest got gutted pretty badly with a guy like Darrell Moore leaving. So Duke still has the strongest cast of returnees that I can see because all those guys, you know, they weren't messing with the big three on that team for minutes, but they, those guys were getting key experience. And that's Coach K. He, he, he had the foresight to see that those three guys – no chance that they were going to be back next year. So he sprinkled these other guys in pretty well, even burning the red shirt of Baker the way he did. <laughs> you uh, Do you think Jack White will hit a three this year? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they changed the rule just to keep him off the board. I think that's why they went with the FIBA line. Man, I felt bad for that guy at times. Like he, he started out really good, and he looked like Duke's best shooter from the perimeter uh, in the early season, and then he just you know he fell apart down the stretch, I think. He, he kind of got a little demoralized in the Syracuse game the first time at Cameron. You know, he had a tough time guarding Tyus. But, uh, you know, we, we could segue. Uh, what, what do you think Jim Beheim thought of the schedule, man? What do you think Beheim's saying? Mm, it's a good question. You there, know, there's I, no Monday games. He's got to be pleased about that. There's no <laughs> Saturday-Monday turnaround. I'm sure he loves that. I wonder what he thinks of the way March Madness has shifted. The last game of the year is on March 7th, and I felt this the last few years where they have pushed March Madness so far into March that the tournament almost always wraps up early April, even closer to mid-April now. Like I think the championship game was in that, was that early April range this year. And yeah. uh, the head down to Miami, March 7th, that will be the wrap for the regular season. They played Baylor last year on March 21st, and Selection Sunday is going to be March 15th this year. March 19th and 21st, again, are the first-round dates. So it's not pushing any further in the March than it did last year, but it's staying pretty late in that range. I mean, you, you have more remembrance of the tournament than me. Do you ever remember it being this far, at least uh, compared yeah, to the yeah, last few yeah. years? In, in recent, yeah, it's it's kind of been like this for a while uh, with, with expanding conferences and, you know, Selection Sunday getting pushed further back, plus you have the conference tournaments. Uh, so you get, you know, the three weekend tournament and the last weekend is just always in April. Uh, that's just kind of how it's been. So uh, now you got guys like John Rothstein who who can't sleep until May, man. That's just how it goes. <laughs> I'm going to give this topic some leeway. I didn't want to do it last time we talked and we've talked sparingly the last uh, few weeks without much going on since the Italy trip. Uh, and you can go back and listen to our breakdown of that. The other ones... Um, in the Noons Magician feed that we've had since we started the Syracuse Basketball Pod here. It's on iTunes, it's on Spotify, it's on all those platforms. I wonder how much stock you're putting in the man now, that Seth Davis actually addressed it with a full-length article in The Athletic. Hearing from Bayheim, hearing from Hopkins over at Washington, who actually played more zone last year than Bayheim, which I thought was interesting. Usually it's been Bayheim and Syracuse dominating that percentage. 
Hopkins took it the extra mile last year. It was probably only by a tiny percentage point. But will man-to-man actually happen for Syracuse this year? He based off the Italy um, stretch that they gave it against Marise, and I still don't buy it, but they're talking about it more and more nationally. Oh, man. Uh, if you asked me two months ago, I would have said no. And I, and I think somebody did ask me, and I said, you know, Syracuse won't play a minute a man-to-man this year. And, you know, some reporters over in Italy, uh, some of the Italian guys were asking Beheim if he would play man. And he kind of said, you know, we'll we'll see. Well, he, he wasn't giving him, like, a full answer. So to me, I was like, nah, he's not going to play man, you know. But, uh, you know, they did play a little bit of man-to-man over there, and, and Beheim has said it more and more. Um, he said it to Jeff Goodman as well. So uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I don't know. I mean, I think if there is a team that is going to play man, it's sort of – in the make that Syracuse is in this year uh, where you don't necessarily have the, the length up top that you've had in recent years. Not that they don't have it, but you know, these, these guys aren't as tall as, you know, Tyus and Frank were up front. And I do think you have the, the depth for it this year as well. Um, you know, if Beheim does want to play eight or nine guys, I think he could do that. But I, I do think by the time conference play comes around, the, the zone's going to be the staple. It's going to be played for at least 30 minutes, and Beheim's going to go with his top seven or eight guys. So uh, I think if it does happen, it'll be most likely in the non-conference. Well, there's two big developments this year that could lend to it. Of course, the three-point line moving, which Beheim said doesn't impact the zone all that much. That's probably just his confidence in the zone. He doesn't think anything's going to fluster that. But the other one is that they have a deep rotation, and he actually brought that up in the interview with Davis about why man could actually come about this year so i hear that and i'm like are they actually going to go with a deep deep rotation especially early on in the non-conference that could be interesting in itself aside from whatever man they decide to throw out there is the fact that everyone might get an opportunity early on in the non-conference much like they did in italy Bayheim gonna Bayheim, man i think by the time the conference play rolls around he's gonna play seven or eight guys yeah i agree but (laughs) non-conference I think non-conference he will. I think he'll, you know, I think if you look at the guards, I think he'll play four there. You, you know, I think it'll be Jalen and Buddy to start, and then you get uh, Bryson Goodine and Gerard off the bench. I think that'll be the rotation. And then at forward, too, you got another capable guy who's probably in the ninth man spot is Braswell. Yes. You know, behind uh, Garrier, and then you got Elijah, obviously, and then Marek. Beheim has said, though, that Marek's going to exclusively play forward. Uh, we'll see what happens as far as that goes. And then certainly behind Barama, Barama should get the nod at center. Uh, you got John Bola Jack and Jesse Edwards. So if if Marek's playing forward, somebody's got to back up Barama. So I think he will. He'll roll out the bodies in the non-conference, and then we'll see, you know, who's kind of cut out to play this year, and then who's not, and then we'll go from there. Well, it's good if fouls arise, if there's injuries, if situations call for a guy like Braswell or maybe even Joe Girard later in the season. It'd be really nice to see what those guys have, especially in a man-to-man setting. Can they guard as well in that setting? I mean, I love what Braswell does in the zone in the little we've seen him. He has a great affinity for that defense, it looks like, just with how he gets his hands on balls, where he's positioned. And Girard, I wasn't confident, James, that he was going to be part of the rotation this year. But if he comes out in non-conference, they give him, I don't know, 15 minutes a game, and he shoots... 44, 45% from three. I mean, he might be the guy in that non-conference stretch that finds himself a spot in the rotation. Yeah. I think the only thing I worry about with Gerard this year is the physicality of the game. And the 
as we've talked about before, like this, this dude's a competitor. And, and I've said, you know, when, when someone's a competitor, you figure it out eventually. It's just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this year, I think he might just have to be a catch and shoot player. Uh, that's not to say he can't take it off the dribble, but I think he might, might be most effective this year just in a catch and shoot or maybe like a one dribble pull up. But, but what do you think there? Their whole new team, if he shoots anywhere close to what he did in Italy, he was 44 out there. He changed a lot of those games with his shooting. And I'm just dreaming of a lineup where they go small, they go with shooters. Bayheim's out there hitting threes the way he has. Gerard joins him. And you have Carey able to create for those guys. I think that helps Carey so much. I think we've talked about this, how if you surround Carey with shooters, it not only lessens the pressure for him to shoot because it doesn't look like he can and it enables him as a creator to get the most out of his game i think that's sure. the lineup that i really want to see out there the most is secondary lineups so. yeah for sure and it does tend to be perpetual right you know so you got shooters they space the floor a little bit more that opens up the drive and then vice versa you know the drive if carrie's doing his thing and he's going in there and finishing you know that opens it up for the shooters as well so uh, basketball tends to be perpetual in that nature, but let's let's do a little throwback now. So another tidbit in that article was the last time Bayheim went full zone for a half. I don't know if it's exactly the last time that happened, but the most prominent time he did that was 2009, losing to Lemoyne. Do you remember that game at all? I, I do. I, I remember it very vividly. Uh, I was I was in high school at the time, and I remember watching the game. And uh, it just, it never it always seemed like a game that Syracuse was just going to win, you know, that they were just going to figure it out and they, they would pull away. I mean, they were up at the they were up at the half, and then they came out of the half and sort of experimented a little bit and then fell behind. But it, it always seemed like it was one of those things where Syracuse was just going to come back and win and figure it out. But then it, it didn't happen. Uh, and then you know, rumor has it that that Beheim went into the locker room after the game and. Uh, apparently he said, you know, congratulations, guys. You're now the second best team in Syracuse. <laughs> Did that have a big impact on the outcome of that year? It, it didn't because, uh, well, in, in terms on its surface, no. Uh, maybe behind the scenes it was a little bit of motivation and, and a wake-up call of sorts that the guys needed to get their, their act together. But it turned out to be one of the best Syracuse teams of all time, in my opinion. Uh, Because you had one through five, um, you know, this was 2009, 2010. So you had Brandon Trish as a freshman bringing the ball up, and then Andy Routens at the two. Uh, You had Wes Johnson at the three, and then you had Rick Jackson at the four, and then Arinze at the five, and then you had Scoop Joseph and Chris Jardine off the bench. Uh, That's that's a pretty good basketball team. and That's professional pedigree up and down. For sure. You know, shout out to number one in the rankings or a number one overall, not overall seed, but a number one seed. And then fell to Butler, uh, unfortunately, in the Sweet 16 that year in Salt Lake City. You know, without Ernst Anawaku, that, that was a really key was losing him. But a lot of people had said that they thought Bayheim had one of the best shots to win a title that year. Um, of course, Duke won, but you have to think without AO, they at least get to the Elite Eight and probably a Final Four that year with AO healthy. Interesting stuff. Good tidbit in that article. Other ones as well. It was a good article by Davis. Zone going down around college basketball at a rate of, what was the percentage drop last year? It was actually pretty significant. Uh, 17 to 12% was the drop of frequency use around the NCAA of zone last year. I mean, the point there is that 
teams, once they get to the tournament, are even less likely to have seen zone during the year, at least at a high rate, when they run into a Syracuse. And the other interesting side of that is that in the NBA, it's actually gone up on the other end. I mean, they've seen used more zone in the NBA. So those are just two interesting developments there on both ends that you probably wouldn't expect. Yeah, for sure. And and to your point, I think that's that's a great point is that with less and less teams playing zone that are that are less likely to see it, the the better that is for Syracuse and a Washington too now in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but th- there's probably a reason that that people are playing less zone and maybe that's become because it's become less effective. And I think maybe with a little bit of the three-point line going out a little bit further, that forces defenders to come out. I mean, I know, I know what Bayheim said that um, it really won't make a difference, but I do tend to think it, it forces the defense out a little bit further. Maybe less of those guys to really man down the middle, too. I mean, bigs are probably growing up now, becoming that space, mobile, dribbling big that you see now in the NBA. Those are who the guys growing up are watching, and we're seeing that generation of guys come up and you know become that. I, I was talking to Grant Williams at the Celtics introduction. I asked him that. I was like, you know, what's the impact of seeing bigs like Carl Anthony Towns who are dribbling, who are shooting, doing that kind of thing? And, you know, he agreed that that has an impact on a guy like him growing up. So you look at Syracuse's roster, you know, Sadibe is that plant in the middle zone kind of guy, but Marek, John Bowl, uh, Jesse Edwards, those guys are the new norm at center now. And I don't, I don't know if any of those guys – are the best option to you know cement a middle of the zone. Those are guys who could do better in man to man, I'd imagine. Yeah, for sure. There's no, there's no bruiser, you, you know, down low like like an Arenzo and a Walker. I mean, I think a lot of those those guys get forced out of the game almost a little bit just because, like you mentioned, you do kind of have to have that that guard skill set, um, the ability to put it on the floor a little bit, you know, be able to get up and down the court and, and shoot too. So uh, definitely starting to see less and less of those guys. So, we got another announcement besides the schedule. Media Day is out. Amen. Yeah, Friday, October 11th. We got the the official Media Day up at Syracuse, and uh, to follow the Orange versus White scrimmage. So, so that'll be good uh, chance for Syracuse fans to get out and get an early glimpse of the team. Um, potentially some jerseys unveiled, maybe with a little script, but. Uh, you know, nonetheless, uh, we'll we'll see we'll we'll see what happens that night. Uh, it it is sort of like a dying event, though. Uh, you know, before I think there, you know, after like the the stabbing incident, you know, Syracuse had to start charging for tickets, and then also uh, started to do less and less of the the promo and less and less of uh, you know the performers and all that, which which I do think is good. I mean, I think. They, they have kind of played it well where let's just focus on basketball. Let's do the scrimmage. Let's do like a three-point shooting and, and a dunk contest and just call it a wrap. Yeah, but, last big one I remember is Jadakiss my freshman year coming out. <laughs> Noted Jim Beheim from Jadakiss. <laughs> yeah, Jim, Jim Beheim and Jadakiss, man. That's that's a match made in heaven right there. <laughs> that is 25 days away from when you hear this is Orange uh, Media Day. James will be up here if he's able to. And that's a good preview. We'll be doing stand-ups, video work this year, along with the podcast and the Noons crew whenever we're able to get together. Uh, Matt Gutierrez is back in town, which is great. I'm sure we'll integrate him into our content quite a bit. And uh, whatever other national guys you see around here, there's been a rumor Jeff Goodman might hop on here. So 
We're bringing it this year. Schedule's out. Hughes.com. You can go check that out here. Newsmagician.com. Uh, for all the football rap from that Clemson debacle. And uh, we'll see you in about 10 days, James. All right, Bobby. Have a good one, man.